It was beyond my dreams. And, and not in the sense of like, oh, I had dreamt of this. It was actually beyond what I ever thought was possible. I think there's a huge gap in theatre where we are, we're missing a, a texture. And I think surface can be part of that. There's three areas of my life that are important, and that's my personal life, my work, and travel. Hello and welcome to the Theatre Art Life podcast, sponsored by Harlequin Floors, the world leader in floors, stage systems and studio equipment for the performing arts. Our podcast puts the spotlight on those who create live entertainment around the world, the cultural creators, the backstage masters. My name is Anna Robb. And my name is Anna Aguilera. Today we're talking to Sita Bullet. Born and bred in London, England, Sita has spent the last 15 years on the road as an acrobat and aerial artist. With a background in gymnastics and a degree in sports and exercise sciences, she fell into the world of performance by happy accident. Her first performance role was as stunt artist for Legoland in Windsor, England. Since then, she's travelled the world from Macau to Denmark, working with an array of stellar circus and aerial companies. Highlights include working with Franco Dragon Entertainment Group on the House of Dancing Water, a stint in Las Vegas on The Rev, a role on BBC One's professional gymnast television show Tumble, the Asian tour of Cavalia, Cirque du Soleil's world tour of Turok, and most recently choreographing and directing the aerials and acrobatics for the Danish tour of Tarzan the Musical. Sita is a trained yoga teacher and has undertaken a variety of roles throughout the years, from performer to choreographer, director, coach, and captain. She now finds herself playing mum on tour with Cirque du Soleil's Curious, her partner Alex, who is a performer on the show, and their two sons, Cody and Otis. Sita, welcome to the show. Thank you. <laughs> it's kind of funny hearing all of that stuff. <laughs> It's a, it's a quite it's quite a resume of global work. It's amazing. <laughs> wow! Right? <laughs> yeah. I want to start with uh, you said that you fell into the world of performance from like a happy accident. So how did that happy accident take place? How did you get into all of this? I had kind of left gymnastics and thought I was done with it. I guess in my late teens, and then a guy I was dating, and he was a high level gymnast. So. It seemed like a usual route for him to go towards performing or more regular, whereas I was very kind of, I don't know, club level, pressing on national, but not high level at all. So I had left it behind and went to university and turned academic and then uh, trained occasionally on the weekends and coached gymnastics as my part-time job and uh, started to hang out with the guys who worked at Legoland Windsor in the stunt show and they saw me training and persuaded me one night in a pub that I should audition. So that seemed like a good idea in the pub. And the next morning I was woken up pretty early and hung over and auditioned and got into the stunt show. So I ended up working there kind of as a backup or on-call artist whilst I was doing my degree and drove back and forth from university to Legoland learning these different roles and and uh, saying yes to everything so often doing a, a day at Legoland and then going home and studying going to a lecture in the morning and then driving in for the afternoon of shows and and it, that just started the ball rolling then uh, then my eyes were kind of open to a world of corporate shows and and seeing Cirque du Soleil or Dragon as this kind of pedestal far far away but uh definitely definitely learning about it more whereas before it was just kind of something you bought a ticket to whereas now it was uh friends of mine could say that they had been part of it which was brand new to me and what were you doing on the stunt show like what kind of what was the act the tricks that you had to do back then we dressed up as lego characters and i was a princess <laughs> one year and then I was an evil queen the next year and uh, we it was it was on a lake so it was freezing cold in the winter which also put me into the the struggles of being a performer straight from the beginning of like if you want to do it you just need to do it and get on with it kind of feeling that was the schooling there we had rehearsals in February so it was ice cold on the lake and there was icicles hanging from 
there was a tower in the center of the lake, which was 10 meters tall. So there was some diving from the tower, which I had never done. And I had one day to learn it at a swimming pool with one coach who was just kind of like, we need to get at least two dives today. <laughs> so uh, off you go, jump off. <laughs> there was also a jet ski in the show. So I learned how to drive a jet ski and how to jump onto a jet ski whilst it was moving. But, you know, this, a show like this had maybe one week, two week rehearsal at max. And you needed to be able to do the skills within the first two days so that you could create the show. You couldn't take the two weeks to learn the skills. So it was very fast and quite a lot of tears in the beginning. I feel like uh, I was overwhelmed with what I had taken on because it was just so far from from what I was used to with mats in a gym and, and a, a coach there to spot me. And suddenly I was amongst professionals. And also it was a cast who had done it for so many years that it was kind of like oh hurry up newbie feeling <laughs> and, uh, and that's hard to keep up with when you're 19. <laughs> but in the river cross your mentor just said no thanks I'll go back just home and do my studies. You just... So many times. <laughs> <laughs> and yet you kept doing it. Yeah yeah I have I guess this and I have an inner stubbornness that if I uh, start something I have to complete it. However many uh, tears and insecurities I have, I'm extremely stubborn in that sense. And sometimes to my fault that that uh, perhaps I push too much. But uh, this was definitely one of those those instances where I was kind of feeling like, what am I doing? And what for? Because I had started a degree and I was going on this path of academia and wanting to be a teacher or a psychologist in sport or anything I could really like grasp the idea of not stepping away from sports completely and wanting to be involved but never never physically involved I wasn't I wasn't the star gymnast I wasn't the star in any sport but I was just an all-rounder and enjoyed sports yeah that stubbornness took, took you to some of the best shows and best circus companies around the world and not only a circus now like also musicals yeah for sure so. <laughs> <laughs> for sure when I was at university because so whilst I was at Legoland I I wanted to start training because I had stopped training maybe when I was 17 16 and I needed to start again when I if I was going to do this show at Legoland my skill level was acceptable but if I wanted to go further I needed to do more and uh, I didn't know any way, any other way to do it than join an, a gymnastics club. And when you went to the university gymnastics, everyone's there, like having fun and focused on the sports, drinking nights out and, and doing the skills that they already know rather than training further, or especially in the club that I was in. And so I found the... Birmingham elite gymnasts who uh, were training three or four times a week and with between the ages of nine and 11 and I asked their coach if I could join them and train with them so I would turn up after class and put my leotard on <laughs> and go train with some 10 year olds and they thought it was bizarre and fun and I guess their parents thought it was a little bit bizarre but uh, the coach enjoyed it because I was also closer to his age than the girls were. So also having another adult in the room and, and a different energy and a different focus. And, but I needed someone to push me and tell me what to do and also be available to spot me rather than sit on the floor and gossip for two hours and maybe do some skills. And of course, that's not everybody's university experience, but uh, I needed something more structured so that I could really improve quickly to get where I was thinking of or kind of, you know, I had a hypothetical idea in my mind that I was trying to get to. <laughs> <laughs> and so after that, you've, you know, you've headed into the world of, you know, seriously into the world of performance. And so how did you, you know, how was the process? Because a lot of people are like, well, how do we get into the, those shows? How do we get into working for Cirque du Soleil and all of these companies? So first of all, how did you do that? And also what was it? those skills that you'd sort of cultivated that 
led you to be an employable person for these kind of companies, you think? I really think I focused on being a good level at a multiple disciplines. And I've always joked that I'm a jack of all trades and master of nothing. But I think that is a perfect way to sum up my skill set is I can dance, but I'm not a trained dancer. I can do high dive, but I'm not a high diver. I'm an aerialist, but I'm not a soloist. Or, And I'm an acrobat because I was a gymnast. And I also trained gymnastics on a hard floor. So it wasn't a hard transition for me to go from the gymnastics I did as a child, whereas a lot of people are on sprung floors or air mats, and then they need to be able to do it on stage. And that's a whole nother thing, whereas I was used to that. So I had this ability to to kind of click into anyone's idea. And I auditioned for Franco Dragone's House of Dancing Water whilst I was at university. And at that time, I was taking dance classes occasionally at the local club or training gymnastics with these 10-year-olds, doing diving off a 10-meter tower in Legoland. And, And so I had this kind of I had a very good basic level on everything, but I wasn't great at anything. So I kind of had this ability to be molded by them. And nobody's ever confirmed this for me, but I I see that as being why it worked. And then when I was employed and went to creation and trainings, then I could see that they were they were willing to give me a chance and to train me because I had a good basic level and a good foundation rather than being somebody who had one amazing trick but couldn't really adapt to everything else. I was extremely adaptable and and willing and a little bit daring to just have a go. And I think, do you, do you think that also circus uh, shows, not only House Dancing Water, but now the other, you know, Turok and stuff, they've, they've sort of melded into roles that are required for people to do multiple skills in one show rather than specialist act transition, specialist act transition. They they want to have more generalists in the show that can do multiple things. Do you think that's the case? I think so. And maybe it's because I have also been to those shows. Toruk was really a generalist show. Le Rev was also a generalist show, but also by Dragon. But I do think it's becoming a more common thing when I see people coming in now and my feeling always has been you have to be so incredible to get a solo and and everybody is focused on that and yet you forget there's 30 people around those soloists who are doing just as much and are just as important and have just as many skills as that soloist does and is probably more adaptable than the soloist is because you've been asked to climb a Chinese pole and asked to do straps and asked to high dive and and dance and and you miss that in a soloist so I do think it's becoming more popular as a I guess as a role in shows now and perhaps people are going through that before they become a soloist because it also gives you a huge amount of show experience and performance experience that that uh, I think shows are now expecting in a different way than before you know uh, the level has increased just I would like to say my career has been short but I am realizing slowly that it's been quite long now that uh, <laughs> that in these last 15 years the expectation is growing immensely of what is being expected of performers now compared to when I started especially to women even you know there there is a difference in the corporate world where it used to be the sense of silks was splits only and and on a extremely skinny tall girl and I didn't fit that mold and now I see something completely different out there which is brilliant but uh, it's it's an evolving art so what what do you think are the skills or the skill set that uh, a new artist would need today i think you need to be good on the ground and good in the air and if you can swim <laughs> It's a plus. (laughs) I feel like you need to be able to dance and you need to be able to lift yourself 
and be lifted and have a a good communication with a partner because you may be you may be a soloist but then you may also uh, be partnered with someone and that's a whole nother way to work you need to be able to listen to them without talking you need to listen to each other's body language and listen to each other's cues and and not need a vocal cue to understand that you are starting something or you are in a rhythm you need to be able to feel that and and that's often missed it's often missed you said you've yeah, had hard, you've had trouble working with part, some partners because they haven't had that intuition or often people who come from a sport that's individual so artistic gymnasts miss that or or soloist dancers miss it and not all dancers have done partner work and it's a it's a it's a feeling that you need to connect with the person and trust them and and often you don't know them for very long so it's not like you can hang out and see if you like the person before you start hanging from their arms and above great heights and you know want to ask them their morals there's no time for that you just need to feel (laughs) connected from the second you climb up there and sometimes it feels like I don't know you you have these moments of like I don't really know anything about this person and yet I'm hanging here and and uh, we're counting to three or five, six, seven, eight, and and I don't really know much more than their first name and and that we have this goal to train today and I should just believe that you have the best intention and and we're gonna try hard to complete a skill. It's it's a funny like it seems so normal in our world and when I describe it to other people or to friends that are not performers. They look at me like, but but you must have known them. <laughs> but no, not really. And and I haven't seen them since. What, so you just did that for like a day or or for one show and you never talk again? <laughs> yep. <laughs> you're trusting them with your it. life for an entire day, a complete stranger yeah. hanging upside down. And then you're like, see ya. <laughs> see ya. Maybe we see you again, maybe not, not sure. <laughs> it is bizarre when you put it that way. It really is. Yeah. <laughs> I never yeah, I couldn't tell you way. most of most of their second names. I don't know their surnames. Like I, <laughs> you just go in and you you ask if you can have a go sometimes and they, they say, Yeah, let's try this trick. Yeah, okay. It's, it's a little bit forward. <laughs> <laughs> very interesting relationship so what about the projects that you've done you know up until this point what was what was the most fun what was the most challenging what what sticks out for you I think the house of dancing water is definitely the the biggest I guess monumental show for me it was really at the beginning of my career I was young and I was new to everything completely naive and wide-eyed I learned 90% of my skills there that I still carry today and and use in all of my jobs it was such a mixed cast from different countries and ages it was also uh, different experiences some people were brand new from gymnastics some people were brand new from circus there were others who had been in the industry for years so it, I was extremely impressionable and taking on so much information, I think. And it was, I was just blown away with how much I was learning and what I was getting to do. Like, it was beyond my dreams. And, and not in the sense of like, oh, I had dreamt of this. It was actually beyond what I ever thought was possible. And then I was living it and just kind of going along with it without really checking in so often until after and being surprised by what I had achieved and impressed and still like I said still carrying all of those things with me it's funny about that because I think that a lot of a lot of people have expressed that post leaving the show how much of a skill set builder that show was because there was so many things in the show you were required to learn and and participate in and I don't think people didn't go into into the show to like intentionally create this great training ground for people but it did you know people girls went off and did red bull cliff diving and you know all these skill sets that had been cultivated it was a great training space for that kind of thing and maybe just because also Macau was so isolated that 
you know, you didn't have other social lives. Like if you lived in London or you lived in the in New York and you were doing that kind of show, you'd kind of be like, all right, check out of the show and off you go, right? And you'd go and have your life. But in Macau, there's not much that to do. So people would continue to train. They'd make other things. They'd learn from each other. They, it was just a community of people feeding off each other artistically, which I think also pushed people to grow and evolve. For sure. I, I mean, I've, I stayed in that rehearsal room until the lights automatically went off almost every night <laughs> training something. And, and then, I mean, I have training footage where the lights go off mid-flight and, and that's just how I wanted it to be. I wanted to be there and I wanted to train hard. And like you said, there was nothing else. What, what else was I going to do? And, and you get sucked into this bubble of everybody is so driven there and focused on training. And I wouldn't say it was a competitive feeling, but it was definitely a motivated feeling, sometimes in a negative, but sometimes in a positive way. Like a, I feel like maybe at times it spiraled out of control for myself where I didn't really know why I was training so hard, just that I, I should and I was, <laughs> and I kept going. <laughs> like when you started at Legoland. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> exactly. I'm not sure, but I'm just doing it. <laughs> I keep doing it. <laughs> and then you became a choreographer and coach and a director. And uh, yeah, how did that skill was building on itself and taking it to all those other positions? I think whilst I was a performer, I've always been interested in what makes a, a complete image or a complete show. And it's not just about the acrobatics or just about the skill that you put on stage. And maybe that comes from that I wasn't actually presenting the best skill. Like I needed to very early on realize how do you make the uh, middle level skills look impressive and artistry is a huge part of that and lighting is a huge part of it and music and and knowing how to use those to to the the best you can in that moment which then made me more interested in in lifting those points of a show rather than always focusing on who was doing the triple or who was doing the biggest skill or the one arm or that Of course, I find impressive, but I didn't find it interesting in the same way as I found people who were doing things that were simpler and more artistic, which then made my brain run and and want to encourage that line rather than encouraging the elite within the industry. I'm also influenced a lot by my parents, who were both dancers, and my father, who is a director and choreographer himself in dance and and seeing kind of how I wanted to create images similar to what he had created on stage but with a circus aspect to it because I I I always uh, hide away from the tada of circus and I want to put more emotion into it or more or as I describe to people in in especially in theater is okay, you have a scene, but I would like to add some texture to it. And for me, the texture is the lighting and the music, but you're all standing on the ground singing a song in a musical. And, and why isn't there somebody mirroring the, the feeling or the words in the air or, or the dynamics? If it's a dance choreography, why aren't we mirroring the dynamics by having some bungee or some wall bounce or whatever apparatus that we we have access to I think there's a whole nother dimension that we can tap into that often isn't because we are thinking of circuits as ta-da and and or we need to see an elite triple and I don't I don't think that's where where it should be used necessarily all the time I think there's a huge gap in theatre where we are we're missing a, a texture and I think circus can be part of that. And now a moment for our sponsor. The Theatre Art Life podcast is proud to be sponsored by Harlequin. Harlequin is the world leader in floors, stage systems and studio equipment for the performing arts. 
Established in the UK over 40 years ago, Harlequin is the preferred performance floor for the world's most prestigious dance and performing arts companies, theatres and schools. From the Royal Opera House to the Bolshoi Theatre, the New York City Ballet to the Royal New Zealand Ballet. Harlequin's experience and reputation are founded on the development, manufacture and supply of a range of high-quality sprung and vinyl floors specifically designed for dance and the performing arts. Backed by an engineering team and independent research, Harlequin also designs, builds and refurbishes stages working with stage engineers and theatre consultants in leading venues across the world. Harlequin is the global leader in its field with offices in Europe, the Americas and Asia-Pacific. Find out more at harlequinfloors.com, H-A-R-L-E-Q-U-I-N floors.com. And is that what you did with um, Tarzan the musical? I mean, how did how did that role manifest and what kind of circus aspects were incorporated into that? It was actually a collaboration with another choreographer from Denmark, um, Crystal Stjernebe, who brought me in to help so that we could share the role. and. She had already, she is Danish and she was already in talks with the musical and producing it. And, and I came in to share the role in, in adding different textures and choreographing the aerial acts and, and numbers for the show. And the theatre company was very, I guess, forward thinking in the sense that aerial and acrobatics isn't seen so much in Denmark past the gymnastics world. And I'm very new to it there, but uh, there is a big hole in theatre. And I think this was the theatre that was willing to invest money into aerial and acrobatics. And since Corona, of course, there's been a huge pullback, which is a shame, but totally understandable. Um, So I hope it comes back in theatres there, because I think it it was a big leap for that theatre to do it. And maybe Tarzan's a little bit of a obvious musical for it to be used. But I think, you know, it was it was also my intention that it wasn't used only as as a showpiece. It was also used in a artistic or in a feeling kind of way. So there were pieces in the in the musical that didn't lend itself to an applause. Like the music just continued and the audience would sit there and kind of be like I'm not sure what I just saw but there were people hanging there and now they're gone and for me that there was one of the most beautiful parts of the show is that just happened and no one really could put their finger on it and they probably don't remember it as such but they remember an extremely sad moment and an extremely heavy moment and that heaviness came from people hanging over their heads also so so it added a layer that I think it's nice that they can't pinpoint because they can't say, oh, someone did this amazing trick above my head. They didn't, but they added something that made them feel something different. Mm. I find that very beautiful. I do think that contemporary circus is getting there, though. It's it's really working in, into that blend of more theatricality with circus and finding or developing a language. Yeah, I, I really like that. I think it's like they're trying that, but they're still hanging on to the elite level. It, I, I feel like it feels more natural from what you're doing, Sita, is that you bring those circus elements into the theatrical thing and help tell the story, whereas to shift the beast that is the ta circus into that is a harder trajectory, right? Because all the people that come from that world not, don't necessarily come from that deep-seated theatrical world either right so I still think I still think there's a path maybe sort of House of Dancing Water found its way to a certain extent of that narrative storytelling within it I still think there could have been more um I mean you can never explain the motorbikes no matter how much you hard you try no Um, (laughs) (laughs) and then they were there yeah I mean I have a goal of like trying to start a show, a circus show, with starting with the story, not trying to wrap a story around a bunch of acts, right, and then mm-hmm. choose yeah. the choose the acts based on what story you want to tell and not the other way around. And the default of most people in the circus thing is to do it in the reverse. I feel maybe I'm wrong, but yeah. I'd like to see it move in that direction. 
Yeah, and that's really what I'm interested in is speaking to directors once they have a show. Like, I, I really don't have the interest to direct my own show. I, I personally don't want that responsibility. And, and I'm not really interested in building it. I'm more interested in this thing of finding a show that has an interesting story and then being able to add something to it because nobody has thought of it in that way. Of course, in theatre, the go-to is put dancers on the stage. But why, why are we hiring 10 dancers and not five dancers and five aerialists? Or even 10 dancer aerial acrobats who can do multiple disciplines and uh, change the dimensions in, in the theatre space rather than everything being on the floor. Why does it need to be on the floor? Who said dancing on the floor makes more sense than dancing in the air in a random musical? Like some of the dance numbers and musicals come out of nowhere with no logical explanation. But then suddenly when you say we should put them in the air, they go, well, that doesn't make sense. <laughs> oh, it doesn't. <laughs> but that random dance number you just did, I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know why those girls just ran out in skirts and started doing the can-can, but uh, no, for sure. Ariel <laughs> was totally weird. <laughs> I love it because it's kind of challenging the accepted and I love the blending, right, because there's like, okay, the Broadway show, this is the formula. Don't break it. Yeah, and, don't um, break it. Yeah, and then and I think that's also it's interesting because they have done a lot of ambitious stuff on Broadway, be it, what is that, the, the gorilla one, King Kong, mm, King and, Kong then, yeah. um, and um, Spider-Man and all of these <laughs> sort of things. So, but it's, again, it's starting small, like, you know, just a, just like you said, just to supplement a little bit would be mm. a good way to sort of to move that needle a little bit, I think. And often, like I, I guess, I often think, you know, or I've also seen that when shows are trying to move in that direction, perhaps they get this idea that like, yeah, let's go for the, the aerial number or the, and then they don't hire the right person to create it and and they let the director do it. And and no fault of their own, but they don't have the experience with it. And and then it's, I've often watched watch shows and then just felt like, oh my god, there was so much potential. And then I just leave frustrated because I know that they haven't hired anyone who, who could think outside the box a little bit. And and that's perhaps where I wish circus would kind of merge into theatres more or. Or theatres would want to pull circus in without the fear that it's going to turn to da. <laughs> and someone's going to start, you know, jumping across the stage and pausing for applause. And, and I don't think that's, that's the way to go. I love it. I think you've got to do more of that. <laughs> I'm in. Yeah, I'm in. Like yeah. <laughs> okay. <laughs> what about you, Anna? <laughs> I love it too. Totally. Yeah. <laughs> I just, it asks for much more of like an artistic conception and work and I don't know. I, I don't think just artistic, but there's the thought process and the creative process is different and it can be a little bit more complex. Mm. Yeah. Which and I agree with me. I think with Cedar, it's, it, it all comes down to the right team and the right people chosen to it. Because there's one thing in terms of having those ideas of I want to put people in the air and whatever, but how many Always times have you seen in, in... No, but the thing, yeah, if you, it, you have, everyone has those ideas, but if you're not bringing the right people to make that combustion take place properly, mm -hmm. then the, all of those ideas will fall flat, so... It's always about the people, really, isn't it? Always. Yeah. And, there's always, always. and then there's the battle of the egos, like do the dancers take centre stage and do the does the aerial need to be in the spotlight in the centre? And, and, like, I really think that each number in a show or each scene in the show needs to you, – you don't need to fight for the spotlight. Like, I like the idea that aerial and acrobatics can be an echo of something, so it doesn't need to be centre stage. But uh, but it just adds to something. I don't know. I guess I did one opera once where the uh, I was climbing a rope in the background and and one of the singers said to me, "Well, you have an interesting way of doing backting." 
And that was their way of saying that you have to have your back to the audience whilst acting and singing. And I was climbing a rope. And he thought that was very interesting. <laughs> I've, never, I've, never heard that, I've never heard that term, backing. I love no. it. <laughs> so I think we should all be better at backing. <laughs> That's amazing. <laughs> so you now have two kids and you're on tour with your partner and so that's got to be insane that life what's good how, yeah. how is it what's going on I don't know yet it it's so new we uh Alex my partner he uh, he left two months ago for training for Curious in Montreal and we went back and forth over the idea of should we come with him and and uh we meaning me and the boys, and we finally decided no because Montreal is cold and I hate the cold. And having two babies under two, I didn't see as being so much fun with trying to get outside. And and with COVID rules, we weren't really supposed to stay together and long training hours. And it didn't really make sense to leave straight away. So, so we uh, roped my mum into coming to stay with me and help out in Denmark. Which is also a weird thing to be in a country that you don't really have a connection to other than through your partner to suddenly find yourself living there. But uh, I mean, I had some work and I have a few friends that I I really enjoy. So we made the most of it, of it but it, it is a weird feeling to be placed somewhere. And then we have joined Alex on tour when they arrived in Toronto. It's still cold. But we are here and and they are staging the show right now. So it's pretty long hours. I don't know. Having two babies is having two babies. They make a lot of noise. I, I don't have so much time for myself. My mum helps a lot. Alex helps a lot when he's home. We're trying to figure out a new rhythm of how, how he can be connected enough with the boys and dedicated to work and also how can I have some separation from the boys and be dedicated to them so we have like you know two two different agendas with having children I need to have my space from them and be able to find out am I keeping all of my hours for them or do I want to pursue some kind of career alongside whether it part-time or full-time and also for him, how does he have this full-time job as a performer and still have a relationship with his boys? After having two months away from them, also takes time to reconnect and feel each other out. You know, it's, uh, it's, not, it's not as quick as being like, oh, my God, I missed you so much. <laughs> yeah, because the kids are like, to... where are you? But I, I know that feeling. I've been away from my kids for months at a time yeah. as well. And it's really one of the a friend. I read something in a book that was really kind of, um was it or an article it was quite I was all I was always coming back and you like you have that period of adjustment to go back at home right and mm. when you come home from a travel for like two months or three months and and you're finding that and I read this article was like don't forget that your family has to adjust to you being back and I'd never really yeah. considered that it was their adjustment as well because I was like well they've been in the routine but I've been absent mm. for so long and I'm a big part of their lives and then suddenly I'm yeah. back. And that just changed the way that I, you've got to be gentle in your approach with the kids and let them mm-hmm. find their adjustment back to you. When, um, and I think that's more important when they're younger. I think as they're older, they, they have, they're a bit more cognizant of what's going on and, and why. Yeah. But you definitely felt like, it's like, run into my arms. Oh, you're not interested yeah. like that. Yeah, <laughs> it's like overwhelming feel of love and and yeah missing each other and they're kind of like hi (laughs) (laughs) and and, I mean with a four month almost five month old baby like they change what what settles him now isn't what settled him two months ago or you know the the rhythm that he's in and feeding times and sleeping patterns changes so often so it's also a a whole thing of learning and and who do you pass off to because now I've been independent with them for a couple of months it's very easy for me to just get on with things 
and when do I pass it off and how do you feel to be like can you do this like I've never had to ask him before can you do this because we've been completely in line in our rhythms and now I need to give permission in some way and not explicitly but also in myself like Sita sit down you're fine let him <laughs> go do something like you stop jumping up every time you're not alone in the room anymore so like you said it is an adjustment for on both sides for sure I mean it's got to be quite complex to try and get work for you wrapped into the, all of that now right now with two kids under two right so for now just yeah mom. I just mum I'm talking to a couple of circus schools about teaching workshops or covering when they ask if I want regular classes I say no because I don't want the responsibility but I like the idea of they could call and I can say yes or no yeah. at any given time it's great having my mum here I've also spoken to a lot of the other mums on tour who in similar positions would like to go and do things so how do we share the load and can we get to know each other's kids enough that we can start to babysit and take on some responsibility for each other yeah. that would be nice but as far as like pursuing anything full-time or big projects that's I'm not hunting for it and if something lands in my lap then we would have to rethink it all and see see where we stand with it you know it's a different thing when now we know we can be apart for two months and survive it's also something if something comes up that is six weeks we can figure yeah. it out it might not be ideal but you know you you weigh out pros and cons yeah and who gains what and and what is the end goal and how does this affect the children because of course uh, having them as calm and settled in an unsettled environment is important <laughs> yeah <laughs> and so how long are you in how long is the tour it's in tour right so how long is it you in toronto yeah we're here for four months, which for me feels like a permanent base. It's three months in each city, but we have staging here, so that's why it's a little bit longer. For me, yeah, for me, it's it feels permanent, and then we will move to another permanent place. I have been on tour for so long that I haven't. I mean, the longest I've ever lived anywhere as an adult has been Macau, and that was when I was between the ages of 22 and 25, almost 10 years ago, 27. So since then, I have been moving all over the place and never really lived anywhere for longer than six months. Corona was the first time I lived somewhere and unpacked. And even in that time, we managed to unpack and pack quite a few times and move houses and, and travel around a bit. But uh, we stayed in the same country at least <laughs> but uh you're you're a gypsy Sita you're a gypsy yeah <laughs> pretty much <laughs> and I like it and yeah. we were we were so ready to get out and move when uh, this opportunity came up you know even with two kids our two corona babies yeah. <laughs> packed them up and brought them along <laughs> that's amazing so from all things you've mentioned or maybe not what's the thing you like the most about your job the uh, ability to move around and and explore different places I've kind of always had this idea that there's three areas in my life that are important and that's my personal life my work and travel and as long as two boxes can be ticked then I'm good and if all three can be ticked I'm great and and uh, for the moment yeah work is not being ticked but personal and travel is being ticked so I'm very good and I guess now that as we are a family unit it's not just me and my work but it's my partner's work so that box gets ticked so we are doing extremely well right now with the the decision that we've made to be here. Amazing and if there was one thing that you could change about the job or the industry you kind of might have mentioned it about adding texture to musicals theatre, but is there anything else that you would like to change about the job, your job or industry? What would it be? I find this really hard. We were thinking about this and, uh, and I, f I feel like so many changes are very individual to a show or a circumstance. And I guess the, the feeling I have now is I would like more support for families so that it feels 
like a realistic option to continue in performing. At the moment, I'm surrounded by a lot of women and mothers who are performing or following the tour with their partner. But I also have so many friends who are at home who have stopped because they wanted to become a mother. And I think that also ties into the idea of how long often women wait to have children when they are performers because it kind of marks an end. And even for myself, I, I have uh, waited many years to become a mother because I needed in myself to know that I was okay not going back to performing. And if I didn't have that feeling, and maybe that, like, of course, that was a personal thing. Of course, I could have changed it. But perhaps there's a perception in the workplace and a perception in the culture of it of, like, once you have kids, you're done. And I don't think it's a a fault of generations before us, but it's something that if there was support of seeing other families doing the same and women coming back without having to rush to get back. It's been a huge learning experience in Denmark where it's a very acceptable thing that women are on maternity leave for one year. And I came from performing where we were expected to be back in shows in three months. So my my whole mind was blown when I heard that. And when people would ask me, so my friends outside of Denmark would ask me, so when are you going back to work? Two months after having a baby. And I'd be kind of like, oh, I hadn't really thought about it because I was in Denmark where everyone was not asking me at all about work. They were just like, oh, you're on Basel, which means you're on maternity leave, which also had this kind of weird feeling of like, that was all I was. I was only maternity leave and they weren't interested in what I do or <laughs> what my work was. You, you immediately lost that and just became maternity leave for a year plus. You know? <laughs> and then everybody outside of that was like, but you should be doing something. So I was kind of in this in-between, like, but I deserve maternity leave, but I should be working, but I deserve, but I... <laughs> so I, I think finding some kind of happy medium between that of it being normal that you come back to work in circus, but maybe not after three months, because that's just crazy. That's, <laughs> that's a, a whole thing that I, I have so much admiration to other women who have done that that's crazy I can't I'm I'm not ready right now and I had my baby four and a half months ago hmm. there's no way <laughs> that I would be uh, stepping on stage at this moment yeah but the pressure that you feel is intense oh I can imagine I can imagine and especially because I mean uh, other people I know have done it, but they've been in the backstage roles and stuff like that. When you've got to be on a rock, that when you've got your body is part of your tool for work. I mean, that's just mm. another whole level of pressure, right? To get back into yeah. a condition that you're able to perform safely on stage is uh, is a big part of that. Yeah. Before my two boys, I had a very late miscarriage. So in 2018, I had actually left tour. I was with. Cirque du Soleil on Toruk and I left tour at maybe 10 or 11 weeks pregnant but we lost the baby around five months so I had also gone through this process of changing not career but accepting that my career as a performer could be done and then when we lost the baby it was a whole nother recovery not just physically because I had also not performed for a few months and and was thoroughly enjoying being pregnant but but the emotional uh, trauma and recovery from that, not only having to give birth, but to then decide, like, oh, do I just step back into my role that I had left when I was pregnant? And, and that was a, another process, not just physically, but mentally. But I didn't know what else to do other than go back to performing. So... Uh, I kicked my butt back into shape and and uh, kept going. <laughs> that stubbornness of Sita kicked in, and she went back to work. Exactly. <laughs> and then I went back to work, and and then we kept yeah. trying for babies, and <laughs> but yeah. it, it was a uh, that was also like a whole a whole thing that that maybe or that could have been supported more mm. in the sense of like not feeling like I need to do it now. 
otherwise I'm going to lose the opportunity. And I think that's often the sense that that many women have. If they do this, they're going to lose. That's why we need more women in leadership positions because they will have generally understood or can understand mm. people going through situations like that in their personal lives. Um, I think there's a lot of lot to be said about empathy and care and attention for, you know, working mums and people who want to have families. I, th- I totally agree. Uh, I mean, that's not yeah. just, I don't think that's isolated to the performance world. I think that's across the board, really. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Yeah. And I think, and that was also a, a, a different experience being in Denmark where where it is more respected or more encouraged. And, of course, they have their own issues. Yeah, and honoured exactly that that uh, I was still working whilst pregnant with Cody, the oldest, and and given the support and encouraged to take time if I needed, although I didn't. but. It was there and presented and said. Also, when we spoke about future shows that I would be involved in, it was always encouraging that it's fine that the baby is there. It's fine that you need to feed. It's fine that you need to take some time and we'll work around you. Whereas I don't I don't feel like that could be the case if I went into some other companies. It would kind of be like, you need to find some care for the child. You need to be in during these times no children on site, no flexibility because they have such a rigid schedule. And and that rigidity, it, it, it's what makes it difficult to ever imagine being a mother because mm. you don't have, you, you are on baby call all the time. You know, I speak to you now and my phone is still next to me just in case. And, and at any moment a baby could come in and need feeding. So mm. it's, it's this feeling. And of course, I don't expect that if I was to perform a show but all the times around the crucial time of being on stage, there needs to be a little bit more flexibility allowed. Mm. So I guess that's what I would change. <laughs> <laughs> Amazing. Thank you, Cedar, so much for joining us on Theatre Art Life today. So good to see you and uh, sharing your stories. It's really, truly amazing. You too, Anna. Thank you. <laughs> Theatre Art Life is a global media site for entertainment. Memberships start at only $38 US per year. You can have unlimited access to our daily published articles, including entertainment news and the writings of active industry professionals, ensuring that you are always up to date on the global happenings in the world of entertainment. Become a part of the international entertainment community and join us now at www.theaterartlife.com.